Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 606. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because it'll help you to feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're, I think we're going to play a few clips from... Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about chatter. That's oh. what we're going to talk about. Talk about chatter. Brain chatter. Uh, monkey mind, maybe. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, the chatter in our in our heads. It's the the cycle of negative thoughts. So, wow, okay, that'll be interesting yeah. because this is Kathy's inspiration. So I am like you, the listener, just listening to this for the first time. So I'm going to yes. be along for the ride with you all. Um, but first, uh, I do want to mention uh, Team Zen. That's something we do every, well, it's actually always going on, but we do these end talks twice a month. We would love for anybody out there to support us and join our team. Um, you get a lot of different things, but the main thing is you get a backlog of 110 plus different private podcasts that Kathy and I did with Team Zen people, moms, dads, all that good stuff. And um, it's just an opportunity to connect with us on a more personal level. So it's 25 bucks a month, but the first month's free. So if you're interested, just go to ZenParentingRadio.com and click on the Team Zen button. Um, I want to talk about uh, Kathy's uh, Zen Parenting moment that she sends out twice a week, Tuesday mornings and Friday mornings. And uh, it's a quick like 30 to 60 second read, just a little bit of inspiration. They come out Tuesdays and Fridays. And this for this podcast, I want to focus on one that she wrote called Study. And here's the quote. She always starts with a quote, don't you, sweetie? Mm-hmm. Um, it's from Alan Watts, and it says, This is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with what you are doing in the here and now, and instead of calling it work, realize it's play. And I thought this story that you wrote was especially powerful, and it had to do with you at Dominican University. Yes. Um, will you share with our audience what that story was? So basically, I, I've been teaching there a long time, like 10 years, and the building that I'm usually in, sorry, I have to lean over and get my water. The building that I'm usually in um, also houses some musical, um, some, some. I guess I don't know if it, it, it's called Lewis Hall, and there's a lot of classes in Lewis Hall, so I don't really know if it's like, home to the social work department or if it's home, I don't know. But all I know is that there's pianos in the basement and there are people playing piano in the basement. So it's obviously a lot of music majors use it. So whenever I leave, um, my class ends around 9.45, 10 a.m. And whenever I'm leaving, I can always hear someone playing piano in the basement, especially in the spring, early fall when the windows are open downstairs. I can really hear them playing. So I always think about I always have these deep thoughts about how fun it would have been to have studied music in college and not because I have any special talent. Sweetie, bite your tongue. Uh, I mean, I don't play piano now. I used to when I was young, but I just think about how we're so I, I'll just use I language because it might be more my generation. I was so conditioned to make sure that I took classes that made sense to other people and I was so conditioned to make sure that I got a degree that was meaningful to other people. Um, and when I say other people, I mean like advisors, parents, you know, the outside world, um, basically saying, 
you need to have a degree that means something when you come out. Yep. You know, you need to have, I actually figured out, it was early or end of my sophomore year, junior year that I finally decided to get my teaching certification because then I would actually leave college with a certification, which there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. What I'm saying is that I kind of- As long as you're doing it for yourself instead of what people told you to do. Right. Like I would have loved to have studied, you know, singing or dancing or philosophy or, and I had a little bit of that, the philosophy, but you know, lyric writing or poetry writing or things that just were about my my soul and spirit even if it was my minor mm. it didn't necessarily have to be my major like i was a lot of my social work students i really talk to them about this a lot so some of them leave my class and they 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 change their minor and they like focus on photography as a minor or they focus on their music as a minor or something that they they're like yeah social work <clears throat> excuse me or psychology is the direction i'm going to go in but I also want to study these things. So it reminds me of my friend Marty. Um, Marty, so me and most of my friends came out like business majors or whatever. Mm -hmm. They knew they were going to go to medical school. Marty graduated with an English major, yeah, with no aspirations to do any postgraduate work. And I'm kind of making fun of myself here. I used to make fun of Marty. Of course, you for did. it. Like, what is what are you going to do with an English major? So I think I am feeding into the very same narrative that you just explained, sweetie, well, is what a colossal waste of time for Marty. Now, I don't even think Marty liked major, um, liked English. <laughs> I think he just didn't know what he wanted to do. And now he owns a bar and runs a very successful bar up in Wisconsin called Lauderdale Landing. So if you're up there, make sure you patronize uh, Marty. Talk to him about literacy and writing. Yeah, he'll remember everything. English major. Um, so anyways, I fed into that narrative and I just, it, it was conditioned into my brain. Like you have to study what you're going to do for a living. And that doesn't, you know, to your point, these people who are playing piano, hopefully they become pianists for a living or something to that effect. Well, and it's kind of like, you know, you, you just said, you know, I, I kind of made fun of him for that, but you made fun of people in college for, your own social conditioning because sure. the two stories you always tell is one is that you made fun of Brett because he wasn't Catholic oh, yeah. like you. Well, he didn't know he hadn't read the Bible and all that Right. Stuff. And so you made fun of him for that. And then you made fun of your friend for his major, which were, you know, I'm not saying you're a bad person. What I'm saying is that they, that was your indoctrination. Sure. You know what I mean? You were like, I, this is what I was taught. This is what this I was is what taught. I, this is what I was doing. And if anybody wasn't doing what I was doing, I was going to make fun of it because it scared me right. that they did something other than the what you're supposed to do and I'm putting that in quotes exactly it that they um they went outside the norm correct and we can and this is actually what we're going to be talking about today is we can tell different stories about that we can tell the story of um that they are going outside the norm therefore they are going to <laughs> fail or we can tell the story of they are going outside the norm and so they have more opportunity to be themselves and fulfill what's really meaningful to them. And really it's just storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what we're talking about today with chatter is it's how we frame things that tell us the truth right. about our city. And, and when I say tell us the truth, I know this gets, this all gets really confusing because what is the inherent truth with a capital T, but really with chatter and with what's going on in our minds and our own storytelling, we're only in charge in that moment of directing our lives mm -hmm. and 
it's not about what everybody else should be doing. So we can have an inherent capital T truth in our mind of this is why this happened. This is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm going in that direction. And if it helps us go in a positive direction for us, meaning when I say positive, what I mean is we're not harming ourselves and we're not harming others. Mm. I mean, really, that's the basic thing. Then nobody, anybody questioning what we're doing it shouldn't matter as much right. because we're, again, we're not hurting anybody. We're actually giving back to ourselves and society and our family. So whatever methods we use, mm-hmm. you know. So um, before we transition to the meat of the podcast, so if you want to support Kathy and Todd, you can subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment and share it with a friend maybe. And as I mentioned earlier, the Team Zen, we did a Zen Talk last week. Uh, and the two topics we talked about was managing family illness. We had one of our listeners who had a sister who was had a, had some form of cancer, and a son who struggles with self regulation and perfectionism. We've done 122 of these. So, uh, Kathy and I sometimes have partners on the show, uh, but most of the time our podcasts are commercial free. So, if you want to jo- jump in the team to check it out, um, we would appreciate you guys checking it out with us. So. All right, sweetie, what are we going to do? Which of the two podcasts are we going to highlight first? So let's just talk about chatter first, just so everybody understands. Because it's really not about the podcast. Those are just clips so we could hear the guy who wrote the book. You know what I mean? So there is this man named Ethan Cross, and he wrote a book called Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters and How to Harness It. And he has been doing a lot of um, he's been doing a lot of podcasts. I've been listening to him for I think the last three or four months. I've heard him on many different shows or read lots of different articles about his work. So I just wanted to discuss some basics okay. of what he talks about. So chatter, by definition, is like I said, it's the cycle of negative thoughts um, and feelings, and that turn our capacity for introspection into a vulnerability rather than a strength. What I mean by that is that chatter can actually be a positive thing because that's how we can tell ourselves stories about things, right? That's how we can, that's what a conscious brain can do. Actually, he was talking about on one of the shows, he was saying he put on social media at one point, you know, something like, tell me about the voice in your head or the, you know, tell me about your inner voice. And there were a lot of people on social media that was like, I don't have an inner voice. Mm-hmm. And it became this big like back and forth. Like, I don't know if it was on Twitter, but some people are like, yeah, I don't have that. I don't have that. And he was like, every conscious being has it in some form or another, but it may not feel, look, or sound the same as other people. Do you know what that reminds me of? What? In the first or second chapter of The Untethered Soul, uh-huh. Michael Singer, the author, says, if you don't think you have an an inner voice, the one that's saying to you right now that you don't have an inner voice is the inner voice. Oh, that's interesting. So like, it's just, you can't get away from the inner voice. Like, inner voice is your brain doing what it's supposed to do. And if your brain is saying inside, well, I don't have an inner voice, that's it. That's That might be a more simple way for people to understand it because what he talked about is sometimes people are not big ruminators. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, last week we had Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec. He really wasn't on the show, but we were playing clips for that him. That would be awesome. And he, he does not really do a lot of deep, at least he, the character is not supposed to do a lot of deep introspection. Mm-hmm. He just kind of takes it, you know, moment by moment, day by day. And so, but... The inner voice can also be things like, okay, I have a list of things I need to get at the grocery store. Okay, I have to get milk and I have to get butter. Do you remember that from our childhood? <laughs> loaf of bread. 
stick of milk, butter, a stick of butter, whatever. More butter? More butter, more syrup. That was that was the penguin. What was his name? Chili Willy. Chili Willy. That was a different one. But anyway, you have a list of things you need to get at the grocery store. And you have that running list in your head. And as you're going through the grocery store, you are picking things up, right, and checking them off. That's an inner voice that's helping you with that process. So maybe it's not endlessly chattering at you about a negative cycle, but that's still an inner voice that's helping you. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yep. So, but some of us, our inner voice is more about worry and ruminating and catastrophizing rather than just kind of coming up with a solution to deal with this voice. Mm -hmm. Like we allow it to overtake and diminish us and deplete us rather than practicing tools that we can use to help quiet it. Mm. And, I, and I'm talking about something that can be very, if you are in a state right now where you are dealing with clinical anxiety, clinical depression, I'm, I'm using the word clinical not to separate it from myself or other people, but I use the word clinical to mean that it's a cycle right now where you're feeling like you you can't control it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because all of us have self-talk that can be negative, but sometimes anxiety is the inability to quiet that at all. Mm. So you need help. You need you know professional support. You need um, support from others, talk therapy, nutritional, medicinal, all those kind of things to help kind of you know get your arms around it again. Well, what's interesting is um, the more you try to quiet the mind, sometimes the louder it gets. And the first two chat, and I haven't listened to these podcasts and I haven't read this book. So I'm just going to the resource that I go to when it comes to the mental chatter, which is the book that I already mentioned. The first chapter is the inner voice of the untethered soul. And the second chapter is your inner roommate. And the one thing I say to my clients sometimes is, and this is what Michael Singer says in the book is, if you had an actual roommate that said the things to you that your inner voice says to you, you would ask that roommate to move out. Right. And I'm talking about the negative self-talk. Obviously the positive self-talk is comfortable and everything else, but it's just a differentiation is um, you can't get rid of the inner voice. So it's more like, can you develop a relationship with it as opposed to get rid of it? Well, exactly. And that's that's the key is that, um, I was just having this conversation with someone yesterday about when we have aspects of ourselves that are criticizing or they're, you know, they're negative or they're talking down to us or poorly to us. And again, this is in our own mind. There's a number of things that could be happening. That could be um, our own it, traumatic things that we've experienced in our life where it's become a running tape. Mm -hmm. That could be from childhood where we heard a lot of things about you're lazy, you're never going to make it, you're a loser, you suck at this, why you never do anything right. And then that becomes a running tape that probably has some pretty deep neural pathways. Yeah. Because if you heard that as a child and that became your kind of, those were the motivating features yeah. of parenting, um, then that becomes what you believe. And so that's what the voice is saying to you. It could also be that your parents didn't say things like that to you, but you've had traumatic experiences either from peers or from the workplace where same kind of thing where you are told, um, you know, especially in an emotionally abusive relationship where you're told things about yourself that become your own inner dialogue. You start to believe it yourself. And so that becomes a vicious cycle. Um, and the thing is, is that just me saying that there were beginnings of these voices and we may not even be able to figure out where it began. So, you know, I kind of feel like the best treatment with people, sometimes it can be to target when something began, 
but really it's more about dealing with what is mm. and how can we handle this and how can we have some tools to quiet this voice. And so really it's realizing that if the voice started somewhere, we can also shift the voice. Mm-hmm. That if it started somewhere because of these things, we can also do other things to make it be different. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is it may always have a negative tone because that's again the most laid down neural pathway. So but then we can use tools to not allow it to ruminate for three hours. So where I go with this is like the reptilian part of our brain, whatever it is, what's the one right by your vertebrae, the part of your brain? The amygdala? Is it the fear center? Yeah, the fear center. Uh And our brain is designed to seek out threats. So it's normal that that there's a negative self-talk going on. But I think what you're saying is like, how do we move from the base of our brain up to the prefrontal cortex? Like that's, I guess, the brain way of saying, suggesting what it is that you're saying, right? Yeah. And like, you know, how do we harness our reactions to that? Instead of it, instead of believing that every, and again, this goes back to, even though Ethan Cross, I, I haven't read the book. I've only listened to like five different podcasts with him and read some articles, but he you know, and he has all these coping tools, but it's not that he's talking about mindfulness that much in using that word the way we do, but really a lot of this is the ability to recognize what's happening and then practice self-regulation, notice it, and then harness some tools, you know, and so you can actually be like, there is something I could do about this rather than there's nothing I can do. Mm -hmm. My voice just talks to me. Like I, you know, I just thinking about my girls, like, conversations we've had where they've been like, oh, gosh, I hope I have a good morning. I hope that when I wake up in the morning that, you know, I'm in a good mood. And I'm like, you know what? Some things are out of our control. We may not feel good. We may have a headache. But you don't have to like leave that to chance. Mm -hmm. You can actually have things Mm -hmm. that you have in place to set you up for a better outcome. It may not be the best outcome, but we kind of just cross our fingers and hope, I hope I wake up and that my inner chatter is positive. Mm-hmm. And it may not be. But then my question to them is, and my question to myself is then, what can you do? How can you self-regulate to decrease the probability that it's going to overtake your day? Well, and this might go in a different direction, but don't you think the inner voice the negative self-talk it originally was designed to maybe help you and it just, it got, it got lost along the way. I don't know if that's going to make any sense, but I feel like sometimes our inner voice is trying to keep us safe and somehow it went sideways and got messed up and now it's actually keeping us unsafe, which means out of the present moment and not open and curious and instead of defensive. Well, the, the goal, like any kind of, the way that our brain is and how it's evolved is because we needed it to be that way, right? right. Like um, the inner voice helps us do simple things like have keep things in our mind. Like I said, you know, keep a list um, to go into a presentation and to remember to look out at people's eyes mm-hmm. and to also speak clearly. And mm-hmm. like we have these running – like we need that voice to remind us. We need that voice to remind us like – Oh, speak softly to this baby because mm. it's it's quiet, and we need the like. Of course, like you said, it's positive, but then anything that is, it can get us into deep trouble in that we can 
take it too far where it becomes the only voice. Well, in my example, like last night I had dinner with my sister and my dad and I had like a big, huge lunch, like chips and mayonnaise and big, huge lunch. And then I had dinner and I really wasn't that hungry. And I ended up getting one of those uh, shrimp wraps that was spicy with all like the mayo and everything. And bang, like bang, shrimp. A bunch, of ta- <laughs> a bunch of tater tots. Yeah. And then a cookie. Like, mm. so I ate in a, what I would judge a very unhealthy diet yesterday. So this morning I'm just kind of feeling like crap uh, and not just physically, but just beating myself up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, did you really need all those tater tots? So that's my, like, how do I reframe my relationship with the voice that I woke up with, which is, yeah, you didn't need all that food, Todd, and you shouldn't have done it as opposed to, you know? Well, I think there's two things. There's like, look at it at the beginning of the continuum and at the end of the continuum. Like this is what I've been doing. I do with the girls is when they have a fear about something, what is the greatest fear? So when you're like, you didn't need that, you shouldn't have done that because Because if I keep eating like that, I might die. Like if you really want to go to the very end of it. Okay. So you're worried about your overall health. Yeah. Okay. So that is a piece of it, which we can break down all of Mm -hmm. that and be like, that's one meal and that's not going to happen. And you're actually more likely to survive because you ate. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, So in some ways you can break that down on that side. And then on the other side, it's like, okay, what is this telling me? Yeah. Like I'm going to, if I have one big meal, maybe I'll have a smaller meal at night. So next time I go out to eat with my dad, I'm just going to remember this Mm. experience. So I think this is the storytelling aspect is that this language and this chatter in our head, we can use it to actually improve, improve or reframe influence, or influence to, to be, to evolve. So this is where I, the reason I like, you know, I always like people's books. If I feel like it aligns with something I already do instinctively, mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, good. There's research around this. Yeah. And one of the things that he talks about, and this is a little bit different than what you said, but it it feeds the same purpose, is that I, I often talk about on this on this show about how certain words have energy. And if a word has energy, then it already drives us to a place of either fear or um, sometimes it can drive us to a place of love. They're, it's not always negative, but um, some of the words that I've shared over the course of 10 years that I struggled with, in 10 years meaning on this show is like I said that when we first got married, the word husband was difficult Mm. for me because not because I had any issue with marriage per se, but I would hear from TV shows, media, my friends, people would moan and groan about their husbands and don't husbands suck because they don't do this and husbands, husbands, husbands. And so when I think, when I think about you as my husband, it's like you owe me something Mm. and you're not fulfilling your duty. Whereas if I'm just thinking about you as Todd, then I can still get annoyed at you for things, but it doesn't feel so like heavy, patterned and heavy. It mm. doesn't feel like you are not doing your job mm. as this person. Mm-hmm. You are not showing up. And so then I can moan and groan about you as a husband. And it's almost like I'm distancing you yeah. from the other word that people freak out about is depression. Yeah. Depression, it means all these things when really it's part of the reason I've researched so much about depression is so we could discuss how we can decrease the energy around that word. And another word is divorce. Divorce mm-hmm. me. Okay. And not and what I'm saying is that these words hold energy for a reason because people have had negative experiences with them. But if we can use a different word, it doesn't have – we can actually deal with it in present time rather than the stories people mm-hmm. have told us. What he talks about in the book is if we use words that are a different language than our own, like we use a German swear word, uh, 
Interesting. It doesn't in our mind hold the same energy so we can actually use it with a little more lightness yeah. or any word use a di- because if we're speaking a different language, it's not our first language. And so all those associations with those words aren't there. And so, and in some languages, like I can't remember on Dax's podcast, they were talking about one word or one culture, and I can't remember which culture it was, but there's actually no word for jealousy. Oh, wow. And so in that culture, the understanding of jealousy doesn't even Hold. exist. Yeah. It does. So it's like- Because they don't but, have a word for it. Correct. And then we, I actually was just writing something of my own about, um, you know, in the idea of wabi-sabi in um, Japanese culture, it has like a very specific like- melancholy understanding of things breaking apart and coming back together more beautifully. It's this great understanding. Mm. We don't have that. So So that word holds an energy that we can't even understand. My point is, is we can do some linguistic gymnastics here and play with words to decrease the tension we feel about mm-hmm. things, which I do all the time, which I think some people say, well, well, then you're battling reality. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm just changing the language around it. Well, and, you know, I think what you're saying is we can use words in the same way of, to reframe our relationship with an idea. Correct. In the same way a friend, you're, you're struggling and you're talking to a friend and they're listening consciously, that helps us too. So you're just... You know, it's a tool in the toolbox. Right. And that it's, I just really believe in, and I always have, and I can't even remember, I think I first started doing this in fifth grade because I remember the experience of doing it so vividly. And it just, you know, sometimes you just realize something works, which is if you can reframe, like language can reshape your emotional experiences. Mm -hmm. So if you tell yourself a story, and I don't mean lie to yourself like you hurt someone and then you're like, no, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. I don't mean fight with reality that way. I mean use a word that's like, uh, let's just talk about Carol Carol Dweck's work about mindset, Mm -hmm. you know, about a growth mindset versus like a more limited mindset, which is, you know, I can't do it. I'm I'm incapable of doing math. I'm never going to learn it versus... Right now, that problem's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just need a little help. So that problem is no longer hard for me. I feel me. like we just talked last week on a podcast, just shifting one word. What was it at the very end? Instead of I can't do something, why haven't I done something? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's um, We were talking about uh, the book Coming Home or Welcome Home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, it, she said, I can't. Okay, let me, I don't. I'll find it. Okay. I'll find it because it is important. Like it is. Sweetie, if we can only remember the words that we used seven days ago. You know what's so funny about this is that people will text me or email me about a show and they'll say, the show you did last year or the show you did three weeks ago, you said blah, 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 or the show you did in 2016. And I'm like, dudes, I have no idea what you're talking about. So what's about. interesting about that is we just watched the Friends reunion <laughs> and we've watched Friends a bazillion times and we watched the actors up there and they were like being asked questions of very obvious things that happened in a certain episode right? and they had no clue. Right. And it's almost like, I'm like, BS, you remember that, like you were there. I now know, yeah, that makes sense because I don't remember diddly squat about last week's podcast, much less last months or last years. Well, and that's, um, 
I remember specifically one of the things in the Friends reunion is I think Jennifer Aniston brought up like, do you guys remember the show when you were throwing the ball uh-huh. and, you know, back and forth? And and anybody who's watched Friends like we have, of course, it's mm-hmm. the one where they like don't go to work and mm-hmm. everything because they are keeping this ball up yeah. in the air. And it starts with Ross and Joey. Mm-hmm. And Ross or David Schwimmer's like, I have no recollection of that one. And then it's really funny. Then they cut to him yeah, doing, doing it. it. And so you're like, of course you remember. But it is a... Um, Our memory is very... Um, it's just a very interesting thing. And it's sometimes really deceptive. I remember Mal- Malcolm Gladwell had a whole op- uh, episode on memory. And we're totally going in a different direction on this podcast. But he... I remember when... Um, Brian, who's the guy in NBC? Brian Williams. Brian Williams. Oh, oh my God, fired. I remember this. Yeah. He got fired from his job because he made up lies about what we all thought. They said made up, he made up lies. They said he made up lies about being in a certain place. And he, Malcolm Gladwell, very, in a very interesting way, talked about how our brain misremembers things all the time. All the time. And I know this because I have told my girls stories from childhood and then I've changed it. Yeah. And they've been like, oh, I thought that was when you were, you know, in eighth grade that happened. And I'm saying it was in fourth grade. And I'm like, wait a second. Or like my sister and I are sharing a story from childhood. And she's like, that didn't happen then. Mm -hmm. That happened then. And my brain has somehow. It's not very reliable. It's not reliable. So the thing in the Welcome Home book was changing. Why can't I have that? Mm -hmm. Which is a defeating Mm -hmm. I don't have what it takes, I'm not worthy, to why don't I have that, which go. is curiosity and an ability to make a shift. Um, so yeah, that was that's a good book. All right, let's play one of these clips. Okay, so either one, um, it would just take us in two different directions, which either one is fine. All right, well, we're going to start out with Dax. Okay. And you tell me when to stop okay. it, okay? Fun example comes from Rafael Nadal, one of the greatest tennis players of all time who, you know, I think it was in his autobiography, he he wrote something to the effect of, the hardest thing I do in a tennis match is I try to control the voices in my head, which to me is astounding, right? So here you have a guy who is competing against the best athletes in the world on the greatest stages in the world. He's not worried about how fit they are, how good their backhand is, his endurance. He's worried about the conversation he's having with himself on the court. And so what is... Is that good? Yes. So, you know, I recommend listening to that whole podcast just so you can get all these details. But what he goes on to explain, Ethan Cross, by the way, that's who this interview is with, the man who wrote the book Chatter, is that what Rafael Nadal does is he has rituals then. So I don't watch him play tennis. I've watched a few times, but Mm -hmm. you may recognize some of these things. He walks onto the court, he unzips his tennis racket, he jumps up and down a Mm -hmm. few times, he does these things with his arms, Mm He, um, before he start, like he says that even before he serves every time, it looks like he's picking his shorts out of his butt. Uh, Oh wow. Like he has these things he does to keep him out of his head. Mm, Interesting. And he's doing the rituals and- and then interestingly enough, you know, the conversation goes on where Dax said that Tom Brady said the same thing. To keep him out of his head, he does rituals. But then he talked to a, uh, I think it was a race car driver who said that can be really disastrous because if your ritual fails for whatever reason, mm-hmm. like, you know, 
we've talked about, and these are more like superstitions, but you can't find that sock that you mm. need to wear or you whatever, then that house, that somehow gives your brain permission to say, well, it's not going to go the way I want it to go. So sometimes rituals can border on superstitions and you have to be, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not criticizing that. I use rituals too. So I didn't listen to this podcast, but I have a few takes as a very amateur athlete. Okay. Um, what's interesting when I think of, I'm guessing what Nadal does is that there's a lot of time in between tennis playing right. within a tennis match. So he'll play for two and a half hours, maybe out of the two and a half hours, 60 minutes of the two and a half is actually when he's playing tennis. Right. The other hour and a half is getting ready to f to field the serve, getting ready to uh, hit the serve. Um, so I think I'm guessing that Nadal is practicing these techniques in between the action itself. And when it's time to hit the ball, he's not in his head at all. That's my guess. The only reason I say that is because I, when I'm playing sports, I used to play basketball before COVID. I even got back into it. Um, I'm talking to myself when I'm not doing the sport, the action itself. Mm -hmm. So it's funny. I just pulled up a Bobby Jones quote for golf. Competitive golf is played mainly on a five and a half inch course, the space between your ears. Absolutely. So like, you know, whether it's about sports or parenting or whatever, um, it, it mostly, you know, you think golf happens, it happens about how you grip the club and how hard you swing it and how you, you know, distribute your weight back and forth, but it's all in your head. It is. And this is, you know, and this connects very much to self-regulation and feelings like there is so much in, you know, how we interact and relate to our brains. Mm -hmm. Like there, there's like, there's nothing more interesting to me than how we interact and relate because I feel like something that, like I said, that happened to me very young is I was able to understand this. And I, and I still had plenty of challenges with thoughts and my mind. But what I mean is that you know, it's like, why not change a word? Why not? Why not? And and I think we somehow get into these right and wrong, black and white thinking of, well, then I'm not telling myself the truth. And it's like, but storytelling and ritual creating, to me, are ways to gently deal with a very powerful force. This reminds me of a book that I've never read, which you have. Okay. Interpersonal Neurobiology. Yes. Wonderful. So doesn't Dan Siegel, who is the originator of the quote we play at the beginning of that we say at the beginning of every show, the best predictor of child's well being is apparent self understanding. We're pretty sure that came from him. But doesn't he distinguish or differentiate between the brain and the mind? Yes, but let's not get too complex about this because yes, but even I, you know, like the brain is the processing machine. The mind is all of those pieces. He's got that diagram to yeah. remember, but I feel like we could just really go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, I think, we, I, I think it's just another way of explaining the differentiation between your, I guess your, I don't, I don't want to say conscious mind, but your chatter right. and your consciousness. Right. Or your brain and your heart. Or your observer and your observer, your yeah, yeah. And the object of what it is that you're observing. Well, so. that's what's fun about interpersonal neurobiology. The reason I think it's so cool is because you can come at it from so many angles, Western, Eastern. Yeah. You can come at it from brain science. You can come at it from just rituals. And you can come, you like, and that is to me the most enjoyable practice is that I, the reason I like gr gratitude journals and the reason I like meditation and the reason I like journaling overall, just writing and, you know, 
is that what I realize is it helps me manage my mind. I'm not writing things so other people say you're a good writer. It's because it's the only way I can construct meaning out of my mind and my life. And Todd, we don't because we don't have a lot of time, mm-hmm. I want you to play the last clip because I think it's the most important piece of advice that oh. we can give. And this comes from Jonathan Fields' podcast where he talks to Ethan Cross, um, and it's The Good Life Project, and he talks about something called distancing, which I think is a really good thing to do with our minds. Right, hopefully this is it. One tool that you can use is something we call distant self-talk. And it involves using your name or the second person pronoun you to coach yourself through a problem. So if I'm spinning over something, all right, Ethan, how are you going to manage this situation? Here's what you need to do. If you think about when we use names and, and second person pronouns, we typically use those parts of speech when we think about and refer to other people. So there's a very tight link between a name and thinking about someone else, someone who's distant from us. And so what we've learned is that when people use their own names to work through their problems, it virtually automatically shifts their perspective. It puts them into this, it activates the neural machinery involved in thinking about other people. And it puts us into this coach mode that is much more constructive than when we're trying to work through a problem in the first person. Boom. Okay, so there's so many pieces here that I want to say real quickly. Number one, Skyler and I were just watching The Wedding Singer the other night, okay? And and that's an Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore film, and so now we're watching Fifty First Dates because they're just so fun together. But anyway, there's a scene in The Wedding Singer where at the very beginning, his Adam Sandler, his the person he's marrying, Linda, does not show up for the wedding. And he goes into this room and looks in the mirror and says, keep it together, man. You're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. And we both kind of had a conversation about how smart it is to talk to yourself like it's another person Mm. because you can, like another example is I was with a friend this weekend and he was sharing all of these challenges And my friend and I, another girlfriend of mine, we were listening and we were listening to him. And afterwards, we just feel like we have such a clear understanding of what he needs to do, right? Because he's like telling us his story and we have such a clear understanding and we're like, just do A, B, C, D. And it's easier when it's separate from you. Always. When you're like, because, and there's a reason for that. Because your brain is working at full capacity because your chatter and your history and your trauma is not trying to intervene in that story. So that information is really helpful for us too, is when we are struggling, like the other story he uses in the book is Malala, who we love. And Malala was asked, there's a threat, this was before she was shot, there is a threat on your life that because you are, you are, you know, speaking up about girls getting an education, that someone is going, there's a threat on your life. Someone, the Taliban may kill you. And she said, well, what I do is I wake up and I say, Malala, if some, if someone comes after you, you hit them with a shoe. And the, and he uses that as an example because she went third person. Mm -hmm. Is that how you say it? Am I using the right liter? She used her name Mm -hmm. and she took it outside of herself. And instead of ruminating about fear, she said, you, I will help you through. It's like she, she helped herself. Yeah. She was her own coach. She was her own coach. And so for us, when we are struggling with something, to say, Kathy, you know what to do. And and not in a self-depreciating, like you're doing it wrong, but like 
you know, like Kathy, you have the tools you need to do this. And just even saying that decreases the chatter of you suck, you suck, you suck to someone's caring for me, mm. which is myself. I'm caring for me. It gets a little meta here. But you know what I mean? Like this is, that's, that tool is literally called distancing. Yeah. There is, that is some, that is a coping tool. Well, and there's a built-in distance and I know we have to close shop. There's a built-in distance. Like I was just talking to a friend of mine who's struggling with something and I could see exactly what he knew, needs to do, how he needs to process it. But I can't see that with the same clarity in myself. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And um, so anyways, it's just a fascinating thing. But if you actually use Todd, mm -hmm. if you said, Todd, you're really good at this, you would probably start laughing yeah. because you are so good, you know, whatever it may be. Like, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm never going to figure out, you know, what to do, what to teach, or I'm never going to figure out how to do this I'm, I'm trying to think. Well, how about work. Todd? You, you know better than to eat 45 tater tots. Um, probably not. You need to, you know better, but. What about Todd? You had a fun dinner with mm -hmm. your dad and sister. So you can play with this story. Like you can go down the line of, I'm going to criticize myself and that'll make me not do it. Yeah. Or how about I had a really good time. Yeah. Take a reframe. It, exactly. This is, this is like, that's why I call it ling linguistic gymnastics because. I find that to be so freeing. Mm -hmm. Like I do this with my children all the time. They'll come home and tell me a story and they'll be like, and then this happened and this happened. I'll say, well, it sounds like that you went somewhere, had a really good time and you met some great people. And they'll be like, oh, like, and I'm telling the same story. It's because their brains do what our brains do, which is scan their environment for threat. Correct. They focus on the negative or the fearful or yes. whatever. And we need to be reminded of the positive. I had a really good dinner with my sister and my dad last yes. night, and I'm just focusing on the stupid tater tots, which were delicious. Exactly. And they were delicious. And so you're like, you know, this isn't my typical way that I eat throughout the day, but I actually had a really good time. And next time I might have a better time mm -hmm. if, if I, I decrease the tater tots. Yeah, eat half the tater tots. But it really, in the big picture, it's already digested. It's yeah. gone. It's yeah. over. It's done. And we can get really Eastern and say it was in the past. There's a part of me that wants to play a part from the wedding singer. <laughs> I just don't know if it's appropriate, but it's just funny that we're talking about Malala and now I'm looking at Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Who gives the drunken toast? And there may the be swear man. words in that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You could maybe play it. Um, when my brother Harold asked me to be the best man at his wedding, I was like, oh, of course, man. Because you've always been there for me. Like when I was in rehab and uh, like the time I couldn't find my car. <laughs> Harold, you know, he's always been the dependable one, and I've always been the screwed up one. Right, Dad? <laughs> Why can't you be more like your brother? Uh, Harold would never beat up his landlord. <laughs> he's drunk as shit. <laughs> but, uh, little newsflash, Pop. Harold ain't so perfect. So he's got some inner chatter due to his father and his upbringing. And it actually even gets more funny after that, but we don't have time. Okay. Um, but yeah, Buscemi has a, like, I, I don't even know. Harold would never beat up his landlord. <laughs> That's just that line itself. It's hilarious. And, it's, well, and he's so, he's like, can barely stand up. Yeah. And then he, there's just, he, 
it's it's funny. What do, what do they say in a movie when someone uncredited? I don't mm. even know if they have him. I don't like, even know what uncredited means. Uncredited means they came in and did the movie, but they are not in the like the rolling credits of like who's in the movie. They're not on the poster. They don't say they're in the movie. So for example, like Kevin, um, Kevin, oh, I'm thinking of Seven. What's the guy who? Kevin Spacey? Kevin Spacey. He's uncredited. So, so like if you look through the scrolling credits at the end, it. he's not even in there. He's not in it. So nobody knew Kevin Spacey was in the movie. So then when he showed up in the middle. Oh, interesting. Because if you would have seen that Kevin Spacey was in that movie and then you don't see him for 45 minutes, you're going to know he's the killer. Right? And then John Hamm is uncredited in Bridesmaids because he didn't want to distract from, from the women yeah. and what they were doing. So that was at the height of Mad Men. Right. So they're like, we're just going to come in and do this part. Um, okay, we got to go. Okay. Um, so the book is called Chatter. It is by Ethan Cross. And like I said, all you have to do is go through your podcast. You can obviously listen to ours, but then like put that in and you'll see how many podcast interviews he's done if yeah. you'd rather listen to it. But if you want the book, um, he's got a lot of coping tools in there that are good. Um, if there's any guys out there that want to connect authentically and with vulnerability with other men, uh, go to menliving.org. I'm the executive director. I also do coaching one-on-one for guys. Um, we are doing actually a workshop tonight or no, tonight, tomorrow night, Wednesday called self-awareness is my superpower. So if there's any guys out there that want to check that out, um, and then don't forget about Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald headed beauty. He is our, um, sponsor since day one, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800, avidcode.net. We will catch you all next Tuesday. Keep talking. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. The best part of what we do is getting to spend time with our listeners and an awesome community of parents who have come together over at Team Zen. Team Zen is a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents, and you'll even get exclusive content from Kathy and me. Find out more about Team Zen on our site, zenparentingradio.com. We know your inbox needs more hopeful and helpful info, so sign up for the Zen Parenting Moment. Two times a week, you'll receive a quick read that will boost your day and improve your outlook. Sign up at zenparentingradio.com. While men and women, moms and dads, parents and non-parents are all welcome here at ZPR, we know most of our followers are female and moms. So today we're shouting out an opportunity that's just for the guys. Men Living creates opportunities for men to gather together to give and get support and build friendship. I am one of the founders of the group, and you'll find me every week helping facilitate our virtual meeting on Wednesday nights at 7.30. Interested or want to share the details with someone you love? You can find the Zoom link at menliving.org. Ready for a Gen X view of personal growth? Join us for Pop Culturing, our podcast filled with humor, fun, and a characteristic emphasis on self-awareness as we explore movies, TV, and pop culture. And don't forget, I coach guys. So if you're interested, head on over to toddadamscoaching.com and schedule a one-on-one session. First session is free. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.